Friends, it's bittersweet to come to the end of our Union with Christ series. We've spent four weeks, this is number five, talking about different facets of what it means, what Paul means when he says we dwell in Jesus, Jesus dwells in us. And so we've covered elements like the blessing that that entails or participation or our identity, our new identity in Christ or our connection to the body. And today is our fifth and final facet and it is communion. What does it feel like to be joined to Jesus? Now, I got to do a a massive study in Paul's letters on union with Christ. That's where this material is coming from. And, And if I had to choose one of Paul's letters to say what most captured the feeling of walking with Jesus, that letter would have to be Philippians. Colossians is a close second, but you would have to be in Philippians. So we're going to do something a little unusual today. We're going to skim the entire book. That's our sermon text this morning. So open to Philippians and leave that open in front of you. And we are going to march through a six-point sermon on an entire book of the Bible in 24 minutes or less. So let's pray that Jesus will strengthen us to do that. Heavenly Father. I pray that all we're talking about is not just something we know or study or have learned or could be quizzed on, but there's a feeling to this thing. There's a heart in it and behind it. It means something to our emotional lives to be joined to Jesus. Show us what that is. Give us that feeling in the spirit. Let us enjoy the union that we have with you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, imagine you had somebody come to you, a roommate or a friend, and ask you that all-important question, what is it like to be in love? I mean, what is it like? If you've been in love and this person hasn't been in love and they just want to know, I mean, tell me what that's like. Tell me what it is. And suppose you answer that person by saying, well, I mean, it's... It's a million texts and it's daily phone calls and it's surprises and it's gifts. You know, that would be a sweet answer, but it's kind of a technical one, right? It's kind of like your contact pace and your timeline and your exchanges between each other. And if there's a heart behind it, that's wonderful. But if there isn't, that's a little empty, Surely you would have in that description of falling in love and being in love, it's a shortness of breath and it's a skip in your step and it's levity and joy and warmth and ease. Surely some of those things are there in a relationship with another person. And so it is in our union with Christ. So I suspect you have been attending this entire series on Sunday, and then I can only imagine that you go into work or class on Monday morning and you share with everyone, your unbelieving friends, which, which you learned about with Union with Christ, and, and I imagine in their minds a question is building, you mean to tell me you think that the God of the universe, through his second person of the Trinity, Jesus, lives inside of you right now and you live inside of him as you live and breathe before me and they're dying to know what does that feel like? 
Can you feel Jesus inside of you? Can you feel him around you? Does it feel different to be inside of him? How would you answer your earnest, curious, unbelieving friend to describe what it's like to have the God of the universe live in your heart by faith? Would you answer in a technical way? Well, it's penal substitutionary atonement and it's imputed righteousness and it's eternal security. And and I hope that's part of your answer. And we love those phrases. We want to learn them and apply them to ourselves. I hope it involves those phrases. But is there a heart behind it too? Is there a shortness of breath or a skip in your step or levity, joy, warmth and ease is there a feeling behind being joined to Jesus my point today as we conclude this series is of course there are things we must know about our union learn them and know them and apply them but surely there are things we need to feel about our union with Jesus and am I feeling these things in my walk with him So just very briefly, we're going to skim this letter and we're going to pick out six feelings that we have that are ours in our union with Jesus. And as we go through these six, simply hear them and say, do I feel these things? Do I experience these things? Did I know I had access to these feelings in my union with Jesus? Number one, the first feeling of being joined to Jesus is, of course, joy. You cannot crack open the book of Philippians without quickly using the word joy. The book is full of it. Paul is in a dank prison cell in Rome, expecting to be put to death for his faith, but no matter, the book is brimming with joy in Jesus. I remember a couple of years back, I was friends with, a, with an unbeliever who was curious about spiritual things. And I said, man, let's sit and read the Bible together. And to my surprise, he agreed. And so I was going to choose a book and I like to go to Ephesians, but the first chapter is hugely technical and very hard to get your mind around. So on a whim, I went to Philippians and I thought it's only four chapters and we get to chapter three and I can cut through Southern religiosity and then corner him and, and kind of nail him for conversion. But something unexpected happened because we crack open this book from day one and he sniffs joy. All he sees in the letter is joy. And there are moments we're reading these things. He wants the joy before he wants the Jesus. And then it's only in reading through the book that he's realizing I can't have the joy without the Jesus. And he becomes like a man who found a treasure buried in a field and for his joy, he repents of his sins, trusts in Jesus, and that joy is his. Friends, believers, our unbelieving friends are streaming past us into the kingdom for the joy of it. Do you know it's already yours? Do you know that you have it, can live it, and breathe it even now? That's what Paul says in chapter one, our first passage in verse 25, when he says, 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Joy and glory, rejoicing and boasting in Jesus, these are feeling fruits of our union with Christ. Whenever you talk about joy, you're going to have those some people who define, want to distinguish joy, Christian joy from worldly happiness. Worldly happiness is superficial giddiness that comes and goes with circumstances. But Christian joy is this emotion buried so deep that it can't be touched by circumstances. And I appreciate distinguishing between passing and lasting joy. But if our so-called Christian joy is buried so deep in our hearts that we're miserable to be around, something is missing. I don't think we have access to the thing Paul is talking about. It's joy, happiness, giddiness, laughter, Levity. This is the air we breathe. This is our home in Jesus. This is our blessed union. It's so important that Paul is going to bring it up 10 more times in this single letter. We have access to joy in Christ. So number one, walking with Jesus, we will feel joy. Number two, we will feel love. Paul wants to make a point, so he kind of throws down this challenge. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. We're going in order through the book. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and Paul's using the word if, so it might be like, does he mean if you have these things, have you experienced these things? But Paul is using the word if here, Like my mom uses it when she says, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Is she asking, have I told you once? No. She's saying, as surely as I have told you once, I have told you a thousand times. And that's exactly what Paul means here. He's not saying, hey, y'all, did you get these things from Jesus? Did you know they were yours? Have you had access to them? He's saying, As surely as you have had all of these things in Jesus, encouragement, love, spirit participation, affection, sympathy. You could see how this sermon would grow to a 12-point sermon if we picked every single one. We have Christ's love. Now, Christian, have you given yourself space and permission today to just feel and receive Jesus' love for you. It's yours. Were you too busy this morning or too distracted sitting here that you haven't had that moment to just sit with your hands open and receive Christ's absolute delight in you? That's yours in Him. Ephesians 3 says it surpasses knowledge. We don't just get to write it down as a sermon point and then we got it. It's supernatural. It has a depth and a height and a breadth to it. It can only be held in our hearts by triune God working for our good. Would that we could experience those moments of love throughout the day. Believer, just 
just being caught off guard. I'm sitting at my desk, I'm working on a paper, I'm mowing the lawn, and I just feel Jesus' delight and warmth and love for me, and I have a moment to just savor it and enjoy it and give thanks for it. That is my inheritance in Christ. We're going to feel joy. We're going to feel love. Number three, we're going to feel his worth. Look at chapter three, verses seven and eight. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When Jesus enters my world by faith, I immediately feel the weight and worth of him. When I'm joined to Jesus, he comes first and everything else in my life is secondary to him. He's my greatest treasure. He's my highest thoughts. He's my loftiest aim, my nearest companion. He's my singular desire. Everything else in my life, things that I made idols of and worshiped before Jesus, everything else you could name, all of a sudden bends the knee and gets reoriented around Jesus. My vocation, my marriage, my home, my money, my gifts, the rights that I thought were mine, the plans that I thought I had made. When Jesus enters my life, everything else bows in worship. Union with Christ feels like wealth too good to be true and treasure too valuable to squander. I'm going to feel the weight of this thing in Christ. We feel his worth. Number four, we feel security. Paul's going to make a counterintuitive point. Look down to verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, when he says, not that I am already, have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So you get Paul saying, I'm going to fight and labor and strive to make Jesus my own. I'm going to run after Jesus and lay hold of Jesus while counterintuitively also testifying that Jesus has laid claim to me. We're in a sweet season of premarital counseling. Tis the season for weddings, and so a bunch of us are getting married, and, and so we're doing a lot of premarital counseling. Somewhere in that, we're going to talk about the tragedy of a 50-50 marriage, right? I'm talking about a normal marriage, not an abusive situation, but in a normal marriage, if I am waiting for my spouse to give 50 before I give 50, you come halfway, and if you're doing your part, then I'm going to do my part. That is a disaster of a marriage. But if I, under Christ, am giving my whole self, I will be surprised when I see my spouse under Christ giving her whole self. It's 100% and 100%, and it's a beautiful thing when you see it in a marriage. And that's union with Christ. Jesus is not waiting for me to come halfway or to do my part or to prove myself. No, he already says in verse 12, Christ Jesus has made me his own. I am his in him. Union with Christ 
doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't rise and fall. It's not a week where he loves me and a week where he loves me not. He's not waiting to see if this is a strong week of spiritual disciplines or if this is a weak week where I have fallen to sin patterns that have plagued me because Jesus is not bipolar. He's not flaky. He's not fragile. I'm gonna tell you this and you will not believe me the first time I say it. As a believer, I am as secure in Christ's hold of me here in this moment of corporate worship, the highlight of the week, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. I am as secure now in Christ as in that dark, harrowing moment of sin and temptation where I have fallen for the umpteenth time. I am no nearer to Jesus I am not more secure in Jesus. I am not more tightly held in Jesus here or there, always. I just feel secure in Christ. That's mine. Well, number five, we're gonna have peace. Look at chapter four, verses five through seven. This is a great passage to memorize. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. If I'm warm and well-fed and I have a stable job and I have stable relationships, I have a peace that matches all understanding. Everybody looks at me and says, yeah, that person should have peace. But this is saying something different. This is saying when I'm joined to Jesus, even when I am hard pressed upon, and even when I suffer, and even when I am in the valley of the shadow of death, when I look upon my union with Jesus, I have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You see a believer sitting with peace while the world rages about them and you are watching someone delighting, enjoying a supernatural union with Christ. He gives us peace. Well, number six and finally, supply. He supplies us. Look at chapter four, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, which means we're ending the series on union with Christ where we began the series on union with Christ because we started in Ephesians 1.3, which says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And now we end, God will supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize I have. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I realize is available to me. I didn't know this when I first came to Christ. I just got inside the door of salvation and was thrilled that I was, uh, was dragged out of judgment and into his glorious salvation. I didn't know that this was in store for me. But think over our five weeks together. I have his blessings. We are blessed with blessings. He doesn't withhold a single thing from us. 
We have participation. Yes, I will join him in his suffering and death, but I'll also join him in his resurrection and ascension. We have new identities. None of the language that talked about the old self can make it into the kingdom. I need whole new description markers, whole new metaphors, whole new language to describe a new creation in Christ. I have connection. I don't just join by myself. I join with the body. We become one family, one fellowship within Christ. And I have his communion. That our union with Christ brings these deep, pleasant feelings of being joined to Jesus. All of these things are mine in Christ. I'll close with an illustration I heard from a pastor, which means I don't know if it's really true or not, or embellished. Uh, But the man said he knew a family that saved up and went on their first Disney cruise. They had arrived in middle-class America, and they were going on a cruise, and so, but the catch was they could afford to get on the cruise, they just couldn't afford the meal package, and so they brought their own food, like peanut butter crackers and whatever. So they're spending the day on the cruise, and they're out and swimming in the pool, and I've never been on a cruise, so I don't know what else you do, but, but there they are in the pool, and, and then at night, dinner is served, and where the whole cruise ship is going off to dinner, and the smells of steak and salmon and clams are wafting in their direction, they go back down to their cabin, and they get the peanut butter and crackers, and they do that day one, and day two, and day three, and day four, and until the family can't stand it anymore, and the parents say, you know what, this last day, we're going to splurge. We're going to the dining hall. We're going to put it on the credit card, and we are going. Middle class America. So the day is done, and they go into the dining hall. They sit down. The waiter gives them a menu. There's no prices on it. They say, I'm sorry, this is awkward. How much is the steak? And the waiter says, what are you talking about? All the food is included with the trip. You come on the trip, and everything is included. And this poor family had been eating peanut butter and crackers in their cabin while up above them, the rest of the cruise was enjoying a lavish buffet spread. Believer, are you munching on a peanut butter and cracker Christianity? Did you get just inside the door of your salvation and breathe the sigh of relief that you've got eternal security on that day when you die and go to heaven and you don't even know that the buffet table has been spread before you in union with Christ. You just get to come any hour of the day and feast and taste and eat and drink and see that the Lord is good and he's good and he's good and these blessings are ours. All of them are available to us. All of them are ours in Christ Jesus and all of them define what is the abundant life in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray you would make us a church hungry for good food. We'd be done nibbling at the table of the world, but instead come and feast and gain our fill in you. Food that we cannot buy, food without price, food that will satisfy our souls. This union with Christ is lavish, it's gracious, it's full, and it's free. I pray we would walk deeply, enjoy deeply, rejoice deeply, be secured deeply in the union that you have given us with your Son. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.